Oh, no. I'm on, right? Okay, there we go. Okay, I did. I know sometimes I mute myself. Some of you are like, yeah, I wish I could mute you sometimes. <laughs> oh, man, I love that song, For God So Love the World. God, it's a wonderful song. That's basically a sermon in itself. Amen? All right, well, let me give you some encouragement to read the passages of Scripture. And here's the one I want you to read after today's message and dwell on, chew on, I don't know, write it down, memorize it, tell someone, tell your dog, I don't know. (laughs) Jeremiah 31, verse 25. Jeremiah 31, verse 25. After today's message, look at that, read it. Read it right now, that's fine. It's God's Word. Dwell on that and see how God speaks to you this week. Let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today asking, Lord, that you just bless us to remember that it's all about your gospel, Lord. It's about what your Son has accomplished. It's about, everything's about you. Because, God, that's what life is all about. It's about you, what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's about bringing you glory. It's not about us. God, we're just so grateful that we have this glorious message that we can dwell on. So God, right now we ask that you be with all the churches that are meeting in whatever capacity, Lord, whatever that is, wherever the place may be, the church is where people gather underneath your name. So as the people gather, as we gather here, Lord, We pray that our eyes are opened, our hearts are are broken free of any guilt or shame. And that we can just come peacefully and joyfully and humbly before the cross. Boldly to the throne of grace. Through faith in Jesus. To rest in you. To lay aside all of our works. To lay aside all of our sin. And just sit at the feet of our Savior. And to be lavished upon by your love. God, uh, we ask also too right now that if anyone here is struggling with sins, Lord, that you reveal them to us. And Lord, I know every single person, including myself, we all struggle with sin. So Lord, reveal those sins that we don't even realize. So we can repent of them and run from them and run to the cross. To know that they have been forgiven in Jesus. Lord, be with all those who are watching online. Bless them. Let them know they're loved by you. God, be with those who are not here today, that are out and about in the world doing whatever. Let them know they're loved and they are missed, but they are being prayed for. That your grace covers them. And, oh, Lord, send your grace to cover us. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, I don't know if you have picked up on this yet, but you do realize that the world's mission is to keep you enslaved to it. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. This world, no matter what political side you take, no matter what side you take on any social issues, no matter how much freedom it supposedly promises you, Promises you, if you just align yourself to its ways, align yourself to its thought process and its rules, no matter what side it is, 
you realize that its ultimate goal is to bind you and to shackle you with its fear, with its hate, with its worry, with its anger, with its confusion, with its despair, with its division, and so on and so on. This world doesn't want you to be liberated from it, but wants you to be imprisoned by it. And imprisoned within it. This world wants you to place your trust in its ways of sin. And yes, I say its ways of sin because the world is corrupted by sin. And will always leave you to be enslaved to something. If you don't believe me, you think I'm a little wackadoo. Look at Romans chapter 3. Verses 10 through 18, that passage is not something to be taken lightly when you look at the world around you. Romans 3, 8, uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 says this, As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. This is speaking of the world here. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. And the ways of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the world that he's speaking of here. No matter how much good the world promises or behavior modifications they produce or how much comfort or freedom it promises you, it will only lead you to be imprisoned by this world and leave you hopeless hopeless and enslaved to to live in a small stifling box of futility. There is only one way to be truly free in this world. There is only one way to have your cares and worries and your hate and your despair removed. There is only one way to have true peace, true comfort, true joy, and true hope in this world. There is only one way to break the chains of this world's grasp upon your life. And that is the gospel of God's grace. That speaks of Jesus. His gospel is what can and will free us from this world. He is what brings true change and true power to your life to not be overcome by anything in this world and to give you the victory that you are longing for. He is the only one that can bring you real comfort. He is the only one who can definitively calm your mind and calm your heart in this dastardly world. He is the one who is the answer to all your problems and all the world's problems. And I know that it might sound like a cliche answer to say that. But sadly, that just reveals how much we've been infected by the world and its ways. Because that is exactly what the world wants you to think. That the gospel of God's grace is just a cliche answer. It wants you to see the gospel as something small, as something insignificant, and something not really practical in this world. 
It wants you to think that trusting in the gospel of God's grace is a waste of time and see the gospel as pie in the sky type of mindset with no real impact upon this world or, upon, or no real impact upon your life. It wants you to think that when Jesus says in John 10, 10, that I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, it wants you to think that that is a lie. That it's something that might seem nice on a greeting card or something you might say in passing to cheer someone up. But it wants you to not really think there's power in what he says. That there's real power in the gospel of God's grace. Because if you do, if you really see him as the way and the truth and the life, then this world loses you. Because you don't give in to the fear. You don't give in to the anger. You don't give in to the worry. You don't give in to the despair. You don't give in to the hate. You don't give in to the division. Why? Because you become free from this enslaving world. You no longer are looking to the world to gain anything from it because this world has nothing to offer you in comparison to knowing Jesus. There's nothing that it can even come close to knowing the power of our Lord, our resurrected Savior, who is the Alpha, who is the Omega, the beginning and the end and everything in between, the one who was and is and always will be. There is healing, there is hope, there is confidence, there is joy, there is liberation, there is an uplifting of one's countenance in this world when you focus on Jesus. You can't help but know that everything's going to be okay because of what he has provided for you through faith in him. There is power in knowing that his power is greater than any evil in this world. That he has conquered this world. That he is victorious over this world. And we get that victory through faith in him alone. That is how we win in this world. We show we overcome this world by trusting in him. And not in the world and its ways. Our freedom is found in him alone. And his freedom which gives us which he gives us is eternally freeing from anything that could possibly bring you down or bind you or break you or place you under bondage. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Not what you do, your faith. What Jesus has done. I mean... When you know nothing else, when you know nothing rests upon you to make it in this world before God, because it all rests upon Jesus and what he has done for you, how can that not free you from any burden, from any worry, from any grudge, from any doubt or, or anger or divisiveness in your life, or really any sin from your life, in your life? Well, here's the thing. This world is really good at making you forget all that. And I know I forget it all the time. And I become burdened by so many things that are simply worthless. 
But praise be to God that we have his word to remind us of the glorious truth that we have in this gospel of grace. So today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Now for our context, Paul has just finished speaking about what God has done in eternity past, right before creation. This whole plan where he thought about you. And he's now going to speak on what God has done in the history of our world. And now how we're free because of what he's done. So today's title is How to Live Freely in an Enslaving World. So let us look at the text and see how God opens our eyes, calms our hearts, and strengthens our faith in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And this brings us to our very first point. No true freedom is only in Jesus. Paul starts off this passage with saying the, the words, in him. Want to know what that means? As simple as that may be, it means that whatever he's about to say next is only found in Jesus. Paul is saying that there is an exclusivity in what he is going to say. And it's found nowhere else in all of creation. No matter what the world may say, no matter what the smartest person on this earth may argue, no matter what the angry mob may scream at you online or in person, What you have here is Paul saying that whatever he says next is only found in and comes from Jesus. That's the him he's talking about. So it's not found found within you, and it's not found in anything you can do. It's not found in any political philosophy. It's not found in any social philosophy, and it's not found in any educational system. It's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. And what is it? We have redemption. Notice. It's not that we will get redemption. Not that we have to earn to obtain a a redemption. No, Paul says we have redemption right now. All of you who are here sitting in this room, those of you who are watching online, if you have faith in Jesus, you have, you possess redemption. And some of you might say, well, great, I have redemption You seem excited about it, John, but what is it? Is it something I can eat? We're Baptists here. Well, to be poetic about it, you might have heard redemption, redeemed, our Redeemer, but to be poetic about it, it's it's true freedom from this world. Paul, with just these five words, in him we have redemption, Paul is saying that we are a free people in this enslaving world of sin, so we no longer need to listen to it or adhere to its its power. Redemption means to free a slave or a captive by a payment of a ransom because he or she can't free themselves. They're doomed. So there has to be a payment. There has to be some some type of exchange to release the slave or captive from whatever or whoever 
is binding them. And our problem was and is sin. And sin is no simple matter. No matter how big, no matter how small, sin is what brings us into bondage and slavery in this world. Sin always, no matter what our sin is, even the tiniest ones, no matter what it is, sins, all, sins always bring this never-ending exhaustion of trying to obtain things that we can never get on our own. We vainly Think that without Christ in our life, we can get things like peace, comfort, and hope, and joy, and dignity, and worth, and security, and meaning, and acceptance, and freedom. But we never can, and you never will. Sin keeps us in this box of death, of always having to worry about tomorrow and what new problems may arise because you never have enough of anything. There's always something more, something better that you have to do. More money, more things, more solitude, more vacations, more pleasure, more security, more popularity, more respect, more healthiness because death is knocking at your door. It's right there. It's always going to get you. Sin never gives you rest. Sin makes sure that you are constantly slaving away, doing and going and working, but never obtaining anything that brings comfort, true comfort and true rest to your soul. Well, I guess sin does have you obtain something. But it's something you really don't want. Sin places this never-ending and completely overwhelming burden of working ourselves to death both physically and spiritually before God. Sin has us obtaining an eternal debt before Him, which cannot and can never be paid on our own. Meaning that before we had redemption, we only had condemnation. And we were enslaved to only bring more and more condemnation upon us. And our doom was to be judged and placed in hell for, forever to be eternally tormented because we sinned against an eternal God. That's what sin obtains for you. So the punishment for sinning against an eternal God is an eternal punishment. Just as it says in Revelation 20, verse 10 and 15, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What a horrifying end for those who are enslaved to sin. But before we get lost in that horrific picture, understand this, that is not your end, that is not your fate if you are in Christ. For in Him we have redemption. Our debt has been paid. Our ransom has been paid. So we have been freed. We have been rescued from that slavery of eternal death and condemnation. We have been given freedom from this world and its power of sin that would bring us straight to hell. We have been freed 
and hell no longer looms over us or under us. God's wrath has been satisfied over you and me. Hell, God's wrath, is no longer our fate. For Christ has freed us when we couldn't free ourselves. Now you might ask, how so? How can we be sure God's wrath over my soul is really satisfied? Because I know how wretched my sin is. I know those dark things I don't talk about. Well, this brings us to our second point. Know the blood of Jesus covers your life. We just have to look at the price that was paid for you and me through faith in Jesus. He paid for our life with his own perfect life. If we have faith in him. Paul says we have redemption through his blood. Jesus died a violent death for you and me. He personally paid by his life for our redemption. Yet not only did he pay our debt that we owed to God because of our sin against him, but Christ also paid for our freedom so that we ne would never be placed under the power of sin again, to never be put back under the curse of the law. As Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Our redemption came at a very great cost. The cost of God's beloved son, who was not a martyr for, who died for a cause. He was more than a simple martyr. He was the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. For his death paid in full all that God demanded upon us, which was perfection. His death paid in full the his death paid the perfect obedience in all things that was required from us. All the emotional and mental and physical perfection. All the perfect love and perfect honor and perfect gratefulness and perfect glory to God that's required to us. All of it was paid for by Christ. And the good news is that Christ appeased all of that. Appeased God, all of God's lawful demands over you and I by his violent death upon the cross. Though he healed the sick and made blind men see and brought children and adults back to life and cast out demons, even fed the poor, that wasn't his main mission. And that was not his ultimate reason why he came to this earth. For his mission was to save and free people from their sins by giving up himself as the ransom, the payment for our sins, as it says in Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So with Paul revealing this glorious message of redemption that all of our debt has been paid to bring us out of slavery, of sin... And that we now have been freed from the power of sin. We can take comfort and be at peace now in this world. But Paul does not stop there. He quickly then speaks of what else redemption brings for us right now. For the gospel is really good news. The best news you'll ever hear. He says, redemption through his blood 
the forgiveness of our trespasses. Christ upon the cross accomplished our forgiveness of our sins. Now it says trespasses, and you might ask, is that the same thing as sin? Yes, trespasses is just another word for sin, but it's focusing on the individual acts of disobedience to God's law in which you would do throughout your whole life. Every tiny or, or big sin that you committed in the past or have currently committed or will commit in the future, Christ has forgiven it all through faith in Him. All your disobedience, all your stumbling and your fumbling and your inability to progress in the right direction. Paul says here that through faith in Christ, it all has been forgiven. Let me make sure this is clear. All your disobedience before God, before you came to faith, and all your disobedience, now that you have faith in Christ, has been forgiven, for you have redemption, and you are now truly free. For through faith in Christ, you have been forgiven by God, by the death of His Son. So God does not hold anything against you. God does not hold your sin against you. God now refuses to hold your sin against you. Forgiveness means that God has let go of your sins because there's nothing to hold on to. Because Christ has paid for them by his blood. He gave his life for your life. There is no charge against you because you are covered by the blood of Jesus through faith in him. Justice over your sins has been served in Christ on your behalf. What else is there to account for before God now that you have faith in Christ? Nothing. You are free from the power of sin. The debt of sin. God's wrath over you is no longer there because of your sin. You can't out God's forgiveness. There is nothing you can do in disobedience that has not already been done, that has not already been forgiven in Christ because you have faith in him. For you are truly free and nothing relies upon you anymore. Christ has done it all for you. Everything by faith in him has been obtained so you can have favor and love and grace upon you no matter what your sins are. No matter your disobedience, for you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, leaving everything else alone that includes your performance and your progression before him. And you might think, is that really true, John? That my guilt and shame before God is gone? That even my disobedience God no longer holds against me if I have faith in him? Is that true? Even my repeated disobediences that I struggle with every day, God no longer holds them against me if I have faith in Christ? Can that really be true? Yes, it's true. All of it. That's why the gospel is good news. Think of it this way. One person said, Christianity should feel like my chains fell off. Not, I better not screw up. 
And this brings us to our last and final point. No, God's grace never runs out. Paul continues to drive then this concept in, uh, in, in our minds and in our hearts more and more. And he says, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. What you have here is Paul giving us the measuring tool, measuring the depth and the width and the height of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And that depth and that width and that height of how far God's forgiveness goes, Paul is saying there is no end. Paul is saying there is no ceiling in which God's forgiveness stops. There is no final point which God says, enough, I'm done, you're out. For our forgiveness is according to the riches of his grace. Not out of the riches of his grace. And that's an important distinction to pick up on. So you can really understand his grace. For example, if the richest person in the world, whoever that is, I know it goes back and forth, but whoever the richest person of the world is, saw your need and gave you $50 to help you, that person would have given out of their riches, and that is good, not extravagant, hopefully expected, not much. But if the richest person in the world gave you their credit card and said, use it for whatever you need, there is no limit upon it, so keep it and I will always take care of your debts, that person would have given according to their riches And that would be extraordinary. And that's what we have here in this text. Paul says that God has forgiven us according to his riches of grace, which is found in Jesus. And this grace, Paul says, he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Meaning God just keeps giving more and more and more and more and more of his grace to us. For he knows all your sins that need to be covered by his grace. So he gives us more grace, more than you can ever fathom. When we are in trouble, he gives us grace. When we are the cause of that trouble, he gives us grace. When we are angry unjustly and foolish with our words and our actions, he gives us more grace. When we fall into lust, adultery, or fornication, or pride, or racism, or fear, or worry, or hate, he gives us more grace. When we are weak and we feel like we can't go on because there's just too much to deal with within this world and we want to give up, God gives us more grace. When we feel like we have hit our end and we finally messed up beyond repair and we're not worthy to be loved by anyone, let alone God, he gives us more grace. And notice here that this grace that is given, that Paul speaks of, is never-ending. This never-ending grace is not given because we have to beg for it or earn it, but it's something that we already have in Christ by faith in Him. For we have redemption. We have forgiveness of our sins. God knew 
We would not and could not make it on our own in this world, so he has provided everything for us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Never treat that like a common thing. And if you think, maybe I'm speaking out of my jurisdiction here, or maybe I'm reaching far beyond of what this text is saying, let me read to you the words of the Bible itself on how God deals with us now that we have faith in Jesus in regards to our sins that we have, we will, and, ha- and have always co- that we will always commit as we live on this world. You will always commit sin while you're in this world. Psalm 103, 12 says this, As far as the east from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's your sin. Past, present, future. Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. Jeremiah 31, verse 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Isaiah 44, verse 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And lastly, Psalm 103, verse 10, it says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Now, does this mean that you and I, then, are free to sin? That we have a license to commit all the sin we want and roll around in it? No. If that's what you're hoping for, and if, that th- if that's what you think this means, then my friend, you don't know Jesus. You need to repent. You need to know the grace of God because you are missing it and need to place your faith in Christ. For Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin live in it? For he gives us... So understand this. For he gives us not just grace to cover those sins, but even more grace to come out of those sins and not let those sins define you or your life. But what it does mean is that we are now free in Christ and those sins have no power over you and no longer condemn us when we commit them, and when we fail, there's always a safety net underneath you. So rather than receiving condemnation when we receive them, we now receive God's love and favor despite them. And that is the good news of the gospel. We now have redemption and forgiveness and restoration with God through faith alone in Jesus. This divine wisdom of how God saved us, though many find it foolish, This is what brings us power to no longer to continue in our sins and free us from this world because we know that we have been forgiven. God's wisdom and insight in saving us through the cross of Jesus Christ to provide everything we need, that is what changes us. It is not something that you know one day and forget the next and has no impact upon you. Placing faith in the gospel message of God's grace has real consequences and effects in our life because through faith in Christ and what he has done for us, he doesn't le- it, does, it makes us not want to stay in our sins, 
and we want to repent of our sin and not stay in them. Even though we may fail and stumble, we grow to dislike them. But all of that is done by relying upon His grace through faith in Jesus. Depending on His grace to help us leave our sins and change our hearts so we can live freely in this enslaving world. For we know the gospel is the answer we need in this life and is the answer our loved ones need, our neighbors need, and the people in the workplace needs. And the gospel of God's grace is what this nation needs. You want a revival? Preach His grace. Don't preach politics. Preach His grace. That's what the world needs, his grace. For all other things will lead to death, destruction, enslavement, and division. But not the gospel. It leads to life, joy, hope, and freedom. And when you dwell on this divine wisdom full of insight, the gospel, it truly helps you to have wisdom and insight on how to live freely in this world. And it's all by his grace. That's what this world needs. God's amazing, redeeming grace. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, to repent of our sins. God, we are, I know myself, I get so caught up in all the stupidity. Help us, Lord, to get caught up in your grace. God, help us know that your grace is what's been changing people forever, that man has constantly tried to obtain and he has failed, but your gospel never fails. Help us, Lord, to see through the world's lies that the gospel is something you just do on Sunday and in the privacy of your home. Help us to see that the gospel is the answer that we need and the answer that will save this world. For men's hearts need to be changed, not their behaviors. Because if their hearts are not changed, their behaviors mean nothing. God, help us to trust in you. And Lord, I pray right now, if someone does not know you, if they don't understand you, if they feel hopeless, Lord, go to them, save them. Bring to light the joy of that Jesus has done everything for them so they can repent of their sin and trust in you. And Lord, if there's people here struggling now with all the worries and confusion or worried about tomorrow or feeling the burden of just life, Lord, go to them, restore them, refresh them, bring them up, help them know they are free in Jesus. And they don't have to worry. They just need to abide by your word. That is the way of life by trusting in you. Help us, Lord, to dwell upon your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus.